Live from Dubai, I'm Eleni Jokos in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move and here's your need to know. Inflation increase, US consumer prices rise 7.5% worse than expected. Military maneuvers, Russia and Belarus begin a series of massive troop exercises. Streaming surge, Disney Plus delivers numbers to delight investors. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Right, a warm welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us this Thursday. Let's get right into today's big market moving inflation data. And shocking, the market just released numbers show U.S. consumer inflation rising at a stronger than expected 7.5% year over year rate in January, the biggest jump in prices since the early 80s. The month-over-month change also taking a big jump, up six-tenths of a percent. We were expecting to see price hikes moderate on a month-to-month basis. So today's data clearly not good news for U.S. consumers, worried about rising prices and bad news for investors and the inflation-fearing Fed as well. U.S. futures pulling back sharply after today's data on concern. The U.S. central bank will have to act faster to tame inflation European stocks mostly lower right now as well. Now, uh, the European Commission today raising its inflation outlook for the current quarter uh, to 4.8%. And the head of Germany's central bank now saying the ECB could raise rates later this year. It's not all about inflation, however. Disney and Uber shares are set to rally in early trading after reporting strong quarterly results. So details on that coming up, but we begin our drivers today with hot inflation read. Uh, We've got Matt Egan joining me now. Matt, great to have you with us. I mean, when I see 7.5%, the last time it was at this level was the year I was born. I don't want to give away my age, but I mean, that's how long ago it was. And it's pretty shocking because inflation has always been a worry. And now you've got the Fed that has been really reticent to hike rates because they worried about what that would do to the demand environment. But you're sitting with the bigger problem, a possibility of runaway inflation. Yeah, Elena, you know, many of us have never seen inflation readings like this in our entire lifetimes. And in many ways, this report was worse than we were expecting. You know, consumer prices up 7.5%. The expectation was for 7.3%. So this is not only an acceleration from uh, December, but it's also worse than had been expected. And this was being driven largely by uh, price increases on food, on on electricity, on energy, um, and also shelter. Now, there have been some hope that month over month we'd see a cooling off of inflation. That's what many of us had expected the White House was going to be trumpeting, but that did not happen. We saw um, month over month prices accelerate to 0.6%. Um, that's above 0.5% previously. And, you know, also core prices are staying hot as well. This is not just about food and energy. Um, now, this is going to certainly keep the pressure on the Federal Reserve to act here. This is only going to bolster the claims by uh, some economists, maybe at this point many economists, that the Federal Reserve is behind the curve. Because remember, while uh, Congress and the administrations, the Biden administration and the Trump administrations, they pumped in trillions of dollars to try to rescue the economy. A lot of that aid, if not all of it, has actually expired. The Federal Reserve, on the other hand, yeah. they successfully rescued the economy and financial markets. But that stimulus from the Fed 
really hasn't ended yet. They're still buying bonds. That's going to wrap up next month. And interest rates are still at zero. So they're going to be raising interest rates, but that takes time to actually have an impact yeah. on inflation, Eleni. Absolutely. I mean, look, and, and you make such a good point because central banks and the Federal Reserve should be proactive in anticipating inflation because it's harder to bring it down once you have inflation. And when you see it at, at this level in the United States, it is peculiar and it is of concern. So here's the thing. What are investors going to sort of do when, you know, inevitably you're going to have to see a hiking of rates, which you rightly say are sitting at zero percent, that have helped add liquidity to the market? And you mentioned the stimulus, which is actually, of course, a result of, of inflation down the line because you're, you're increasing money supply. Yeah, this is a very difficult position for the Federal Reserve and for investors, because remember, you know, markets have become almost addicted to uh, free money from central banks. I mean, if you look at the last uh, 12 or 13 years, rates have been basically at zero more often than not. So the fact that they're coming up is going to be a challenge. The fact that there's no more QE is going to be a challenge. The Fed has to start shrinking its balance sheet. Um, I think that, you know, the economy is strong enough. Corporate profits are strong enough where a few interest rate hikes, uh, no more QE, that should really be a huge problem for the market. I think where you get into um, some bigger challenges is if the Fed has to increase rates not three or four times, but five or six or seven times. Uh, when you start to talk about uh, bigger interest rate hikes, uh, there's been rumors of, you know, a half a percentage point move instead of a quarter percentage point move. If the Fed has to move quicker in 2023 because in a few months we're still talking about six or seven or, I don't know, eight percent inflation. Um, that's yeah. where it becomes a bigger issue for both financial markets and for the real economy, because both have really become very accustomed to very low borrowing costs. Absolutely. And to you know, create a shock with inflation, you actually have to hike rates quite substantially. Matt Egan, thank you very much. Good to see you. Now we head to Beijing, where the Winter Olympic Games are underway. Now, the medal ceremony for the figure skating team competition is still delayed after a Russian athlete tested positive for a banned substance. Christine Brennan is live in Beijing with the latest. Christine, good to see you. I mean, look, we, the big question is what will happen with the ceremony? We're talking about a minor uh, that has been found to be using a banned substance. And now the big question is, are we going to see people losing points? Is there going to be a shift in who actually won the gold medal? Exactly. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of questions still about exactly what is going to happen, Eleni. Um, the, it's confusing. And there's a real void. The International Olympic Committee, you would expect, would be leading the way on this. They're not. And so everyone's kind of filling the void with more questions. But the facts are these. There is that positive doping test within the Russian team, the figure skating team that won the gold medal, dominated the competition. USA was second and Japan was third. And that we know it's a minor and we know the only minor that is on the rush was on the Russian team is the is the star who is expected to win the gold medal in the women's competition, Kamila Vileva. So there's that. Uh, and after that, there's uncertainty. When will the medal ceremony happen at all? I mean, the, 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 the amount of organizations that are, have got their kind of, you know, hands in the, in, the, in the soup, so to speak, trying to figure out what to do, uh, where this goes from here. You mentioned that 15-year-old, the concern about her. Uh, yes, in fact, if she tested positive, which we, you know, obviously that's what we believe happened and what the authorities are saying. Well, is it her fault? 
or is it the, the fault of the, the coaches or the other a- adults in her life? So many questions, so few answers. Obviously, we're on top of it here, but it, it's not easy for sure to figure out where, where the story goes next. And, you know, it's such a good point because you mentioned the Olympic uh, uh, Committee and they're not taking the lead. Who's going to take the lead on this, do you think? What happens next? Or is it just wait and see at this point in time? Yes, I think there's a lot of questions of just that we don't have answers to. And I'm asking them, a lot of us are, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, I know it's confusing for people watching at home because you're trying to f- say, okay, if, if Russia, in fact, doesn't get the gold medal, where's the ceremony? U.S., Japan, Canada would move up to third place. So there's that issue. Um, and then, of course, the games go on and you've got figure skating events. So that team event is early on. And then you've got uh, the men's competition, of course, ending with Nathan Chen winning. Ice dance comes up next and the women's competition in pairs. And so this really threatens, I think, to kind of swallow up the games. And if we're talking about this controversy, as we have been, as as uh, many people around the world are, and the fascination with this story uh, and the various pieces of the story, well, then it does that take away from the athletes themselves and the, and the, the storylines that we're so used to here. Already, these games have been so wrought with controversy and so politically charged, and I think in many ways this is just in keeping with that. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that conversation moving forward of you know, exactly what... Uh, what uh, you know? What the storyline will be moving forward? Right. Christine, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that insight, Christine Brennan, for us. Right for the next ten days, Russia says it will be holding joint military exercises with Belarus. This, as fears remain, that the Kremlin is planning an incursion into Ukrainian territory. CNN international diplomatic editor Nick Robertson joins us now from Moscow. I mean, I thought there was a door of hope with, uh, you know, possibly some kind of diplomatic solution. But these military exercises, what message is Belarus and Russia sending to the West? The specific message of these exercises is that they will be better drilled and know how to defend their borders against all sorts of uh, possible enemies, whether it's uh, sophisticated reconnaissance missions or terrorists or just common or garden invasion, they'll be ready. The message that's being received uh, by NATO and uh, the nations around uh, around Belarus, specifically Ukraine, is that Russia is using this as a, as a means to sort of muscle up its demands for NATO to pull back its eastward expansion. Um, President Putin's been silent about what his next move is going to be. Uh, but these military exercises, in a way, speak for themselves. You had British Foreign Secretary here in Moscow today meeting with her, with her Russian counterparts, Sergey Lavrov, they were clearly talking past each other and they said pretty much uh, the, the same thing. It was quite sort of a heated press conference in diplomatic terms. Sergey Lavrov saying, you know, um, we're talking, but no one's listening. And the, the British foreign secretary saying, you know, on the issue that NATO is a threat to you um, and, is let, and is breaking, uh, you know, international agreements over that, that's just not true. This was this was very abrupt language, and we heard the same British Prime Minister today um, meeting with the NATO Secretary General in Brussels, also meeting with his uh, with, with his Polish counterpart, and his language there again, equally uncompromising about the threat that he perceives coming from Russia. We won't accept Poland and the UK won't accept a world in which a powerful neighbour can bully or attack their neighbours. 
and we won't accept it because we believe all people, no matter where they are born, have a right to live safely and choose who governs them and to decide what organisations they aspire to have membership of or indeed what bodies they want to cease being members of. And we will not compromise on that principle. So in terms of British diplomacy, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, saying about his meeting with Liz Truss that he didn't think that they had any common ground at all. And I think the million-dollar question at the moment is what traction, real traction, if any, did President Macron, the French president, get when he came here on Monday earlier this week? But, but the military operations speak for themselves, and, and so much has happened even since Monday. Yeah. All right, Nick Robertson, thank you very much. A little bit of magic back at Disney, and that's thanks to a strong performance from Disney+. Plus. The streaming service gained nearly 12 million subscribers in the first quarter, a positive sign after only 2 million in the fourth quarter. CNN's Frank Pilotta joins me now. Frank, I mean, looking at the 12 million subscribers, very encouraging. And we also know Disney parks are starting to get some business back, and we know that they were completely shut down over COVID. But overall, this is very encouraging to see Disney sort of back on track. Yeah, it's really funny to think if you talk to investors 24 hours ago right now, I think a lot of them would have had a lot of concerns, a lot of worries about Disney as a stock. Now, why is that? It's because the last quarter, Disney Plus only gained about 2 million subscribers. That's really a lackluster amount. Then in between the last earnings, Netflix came out with their own earnings that showed their guidance to be really lackluster as well. So there was this whole kind of anxiety about streaming at large, like it has streaming burst the bubble kind of thing. Now Disney comes out of, you know, their earnings yesterday with nearly 12 million uh, new subscribers, almost 130 overall. And now things are pretty copacetic in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, okay, so let's take a look. I mean, you, you spoke about sort of the streaming wars, and I guess the question is, have the sort of the streaming companies reached a plateau in terms of the number of the subscribers and consumers that can lure in? Uh, but these numbers speak of something very different. But I guess the, the question is, just how loyal are these subscribers, and are we going to expect a lot of volatility within these numbers going forward? I think there's always going to be a level of volatility when we come to streaming just because it's a content-based business. So my my theory on why Disney had a better quarter than the quarter before, at least in terms of Disney Plus, is because the content was way better. In the last few months, they had Hawkeye, a new Marvel series. They had Get Back, which was the eight-hour-long Beatles series, which was very popular by all the data that was out there. Not to mention at the end of the quarter, they added Encanto, a very viral and loving kind of enjoyable animated film in the book of Boba Fett, which was from Star Wars. I think what's really interesting here, too, is that you mentioned the parks. And that's the big difference between Disney and Netflix and Disney and some of the other streamers is that it's not putting all of its eggs in the streaming basket. It is the most important thing at the company. It is the thing that pretty much drives the stock. But what also helps is that revenues at the parks were up double from last year because they were still suffering from the pandemic. So unlike Netflix, which is really just all streaming all the time, Disney can do pretty well in streaming and then add a cherry on top with their other businesses. Yeah, very quickly, Obi Kenobi, that's due to come out as well, right? That's going to be a big one. And you're talking about content. Yes, uh, May 25th will be the new series for Obi-Wan Kenobi starring Ewan McGregor. Yeah. It's one of the most beloved characters in the entire canon. People are going to go crazy for it. And I am one of those people probably. Yeah.
All right. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all going to tune in for that. Thank you very much, uh, Frank. Good to see you. Much appreciated. All right. So now these are the stories making headlines around the world. Around the world, COVID-19 restrictions are starting to ease up. Starting Thursday, people traveling to India from outside the country no longer have to quarantine for a week. Just monitor their health for 14 days. And New York just lifted its indoor mask or vaccine mandate for most businesses because of a decline in COVID cases and hospitalizations. An upcoming book by New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman says former White House staff members believe President Donald Trump tried to flush printed papers down a toilet after finding many pieces clogging up the pipes. The revelation comes as the former president is being accused of failing to preserve government documents. And still to come on First Move, Barbie boom lockdown little ones drive blockbuster sales for toy maker Mattel. I'll speak to the CEO. And Fantasy takes flight, so the Slovenian startup making a car cleared for takeoff. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks remain on track for a lower open after the release of today's hotter-than-expected read on U.S. consumer inflation. As you can see, we're right across the board. Inflation rising at a worse-than-expected 7.5% last month due to, in part, higher prices for food as well as energy. U.S. 10-year Treasury yield taking a big jump higher after today's data, touching 2% levels for the first time since the summer of 2019. And big earnings also in focus today. Will well-known uh, consumer brands like Coca-Cola, Pepsi and Twitter all reporting strong sales growth for Coke and Pepsi. Twitter higher pre-market as well. As you can see, uh, Pepsi is coming under pressure there. But Coca-Cola and Twitter well in the green. Um, earnings came in, uh, earnings and sales came in weaker than expected for uh, the likes of some of those companies. Twitter standing by uh, its yearly guidance, however, the company also announcing a $4 billion uh, buyback scheme as well. Now, Mattel set to jump over 7% at the open. The toy maker reported an almost 20% rise in sales in 2021. A Barbie boom, COVID lockdowns and a 21st century revamp have revitalized some of its key brands. And the CEO says it's the beginning of a new era with the company now in growth mode. Joining me now is uh, Enon uh, Kreis, uh, CEO of Mattel. Really good to see you, Enon. Thank you very much. I, I was going through your results and there's something that really stuck out for me. Our products continue to resonate with consumers at levels we have not seen uh, in years. Uh, it seems that COVID you know, really bolstered a lot of uh, your, your sales. You've done really well on your operating margins, uh, which were slightly lower um, than you had anticipated, but it's incredible to see these numbers coming through. What would you say was the backbone of the, the latest financial results? Yes, Elena, this was another exceptional quarter and year for Mattel. We outpaced the industry and gained share globally for the second year in a row and in every measured market. This was the highest annual growth rate in decades for Mattel, with growth in six of seven categories where we operate in each of our power brands, Barbie, Hot Wheels, Fisher-Price, as well as American Girl. So our turnaround is complete. The company 
is in growth mode and the strength is broad based. This is not just being COVID related. We outpaced the industry for six consecutive quarters. We're not just riding the wave, we're showing strength that is comprehensive and broad based. And we expect to continue to gain market share with strong growth in 2022 and 2023, and they're not stopping there. Look, I have to admit, there's certain parts of my house that have a frozen theme. Elsa's very much part of my life, and now it's part of yours. It's back uh, with you, heroines and princesses, uh, making it back uh, into your catalog as well. How much more growth are you seeing within some of these brands that have been absolutely incredible, uh, you know, with regards to, you know, toddlers really (laughs) sort of resonating with them? Uh, I guess, how are you going to build on what already has been done uh, over the last two years uh, with your other competitor? Well, let me first say that the uh, uh, winning back Disney Princess and Frozen is really great. Uh, Together, one of the crown jewels of the Walt Disney Company with a huge wealth of characters and stories to build on. Uh, We couldn't be more excited. We expect to grow from the current levels to leverage our expertise and capabilities as the world, as a global leader in dolls and continue to develop and grow evergreen franchises. This is what we specialize in. And we, the part of the success has really been driven by the Mattel playbook, which is about cultural resonance, cultural relevant relevance, as well as creating brand purpose that, that is engaging consumers and families at a very deep level. We invest heavily in design and innovation and execute at a very high level with very strong supply chain and commercial capabilities uh, that are able to create demand and then work hard to fulfill it. Yeah. So let's talk about supply chains because we've seen disruptions globally. How has that impacted you? And e-commerce was one of the sort of, uh, you know, star performers uh, within your uh, company during COVID in particular. You still saw growth, but definitely not as high as you had seen uh, in the previous uh, year. Yeah, supply chain is one of our core strengths. It's not that we were not impacted, but we were able to navigate and manage through disruption and achieve such uh, strong performance and position the company for, for additional growth in 22 and 23. E-commerce is another important part of our success. It has been growing this year. It, I would say we're now getting into a more balanced and stable uh, performance of e-commerce, but it has grown for 6% this year, and it now represents 31% of all of our retail sales. And we see that as as an important strategic advantage for Mattel, another growth engine. You will see more coming from our direct-to-consumer business with positive results across all key markets, leveraging the platform of American Girl that is already growing and doing really well in terms of our D2C performance. So expect more to see there, another important growth driver for Mattel. So I just have to ask you this. I mean, you've got motion pictures that are underway. We're expecting Barbie coming out in 2023 and other movies as well. Uh, How important is this division going to be uh, to your business down the line? Because it's expensive. It's capital intensive. Yeah, we own one of the strongest catalogs of children and family entertainment franchises in the world. And the opportunity that we have is to extend our business beyond the toy aisles into highly accretive business verticals that are directly uh, adjacent to what we do, but are all driven by big franchises, big brands. 
And this is exactly what we bring to the table. Our approach is capital light. We're not looking to invest in production. This is not our business. Our expertise, our capability, what we bring is, is uh, strong franchises, big brands that built with built-in fan base. And we partner with the best filmmakers, the best studios, the best distributors, and they run with the ball. They drive the projects. We, we obviously are involved creatively. We work with the talent. We maintain the brand integrity and the brand attributes, yeah. but we don't invest capital in those projects. That gives us the ability so, you to know, do I was, this I was at taking scale. A look, I, I was taking a look at your operating margins, and they're sitting at 14% for 2021. They were sitting at 9.6% in 2020. You've got inflationary impacts coming through as well, but you've got really strong margins. Because of the inflationary environment, does that mean that you're able to hike prices even further, or how is inflation uh, increasing or changing your strategies? Yeah, we are impacted by inflation. And of course, in this environment, pricing is one of the options that we consider. Uh, this is not unique to the toy industry, of course. This is something that companies have to uh, uh, use and think about in terms of inflation. But when we raise prices, we always keep consumers in mind and are being very thoughtful about how do we maintain the, the, the highest quality and the best value for consumers. In addition, we also are driving cost savings and look to continue to optimize operation to continue to improve margins over time we guided to 16 to 17% operating income margin by 2023 and are well on our way to achieve that, uh, that goal. Inon Grice, thank you very much. Good to see you, the CEO of Mattel. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. All right, we are going to a short break and we are going to come back with the market open. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move from Dubai. I'm Eleni Jokas, and in New York, stocks are up and running this Thursday, and we've got a lower open across the board for the U.S. majors. Let's take a look uh, at those numbers. As you can see, Dow Jones down six-tenths of a percent, NASDAQ down almost two percent, and S&P also under pressure. Rate-sensitive uh, stocks have also taken a big uh, hit as well. And this is after we saw stronger-than-expected U.S. inflation. And as we've been reporting on consumer prices, they rose at a shocking 7.5% annual rate last month. Prices rose on a month-to-month -month basis as well, which wasn't anticipated. Today's data raising fears of aggressive Fed tightening beginning at the central bank's meeting next month. All right, as you can see, 7.5% inflation, that's a 40-year high. Disney shares in the meantime uh, are bucking the downward trend. They're up almost 6%. Its shares rallying after reporting better than expected results. Uh, the Disney Plus streaming service gaining nearly 12 million subscribers in the first quarter, which was very encouraging. In the meantime, truckers blocking a key border bridge between Canada and the U.S., forced both GM and Ford to halt production Wednesday. Protests against Canada's vaccine mandates began nearly two weeks ago in Ottawa. The blockade of uh, North America's busiest international crossing is now in its fourth day. We've got Donny O'Sullivan joining us now. You've got very high vaccination rates across the country in Canada, Donny, but you're seeing truckers that are unvaccinated causing supply chain disruptions. Tell us what's going on on the ground. 
Absolutely. 80% of eligible Canadians are vaccinated. Uh, so what we're seeing behind us is chaos being caused by a very, very small minority of people. But they is, there is no indication uh, that they're moving anywhere anytime soon. Have a look. I want all these mandates gone and I'm not leaving until all the mandates are gone. What is the stuff that you can't do right now as, as a non-vaccinated person? I live in Quebec, so it's a bit more intense than other places in Canada. But look, I can't go skiing, I can't go to Walmart, I can't go to Canadian Tire, I can't go to Home Depot, I can't go to restaurants, I can't go to bars, I can't go to the gym. Truckers here in Canada have brought part of the country's capital to a standstill right outside the National Parliament. I was uh, hired on at a job not too long ago for a transport company out of Whitby, Ontario, and I was let go due to not willing to get the vaccines for my job, and I mean, that's not right for companies to be able to decide that and take away our right to earn money and support our livelihood. Now, this is all happening despite these protesters representing a small minority of Canadians. More than 80% of eligible Canadians are fully vaccinated. And the Canadian Trucking Alliance, the primary advocacy group for Canadian truckers, which has condemned these protests, has said about 85% of Canadian truckers who regularly cross the U.S. border are vaccinated. And for you, why is it important for you to be here today? Well, because... Fake news. Sorry. Because like you're... Don't, don't talk to them. This yeah. is a fake news. But despite the fact that these people may be part of a minority in Canada, they are receiving a lot of support from conservatives and other right-wing figures in the United States. We are now aware of a significant element from the United States that have been involved in the funding, the organizing, and the demonstrating. The Canadian truckers are heroes. They are patriots and they are marching for your freedom and for my freedom. This is very much a 21st century protest playing out as much on the internet as it is on the streets. Viral memes and sometimes false and highly offensive historical comparisons that circulate online are being repeated verbatim here like this. And because you're not vaccinated, have you, is there business, is there stuff you can't do in Canada now? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, well, basically, if you want to compare Canada uh, to anything, it's like uh, Hitler, Germany, and we're like the Jews, eh? Uh, one of the goals is to simply is to get a group of people that you can get everybody angry with, and in this case is the vac- unvaccinated. Eh? There's a lot of people here streaming live online. I'm just gonna follow you guys and make sure you tell the truth. That's all right. Good. Documenting every moment on social media. You take those cans off of that truck. Is that your property? In an effort to clear the protesters, police have begun confiscating gas canisters, resulting in encounters like this that clock up thousands of views online. My name is Jim Kerr, and I give a shit about Canadians. How do you feel? Hi, my name's Jim Kerr, and I care about human beings, especially ones who are trying to keep themselves warm in a truck while fighting for the freedoms of Canadians. How you feel? The main problem I have is all the censorship that's going on. That's, that's the main problem that I have. There's censorship everywhere, yeah. People's accounts get taken down, even Facebook, if you don't say the right thing. Even this convoy, a lot of groups started, and people are even uh, live streaming, and all of a sudden, I heard yesterday in the restaurant, my, my feed was cut, my feed was cut. 
Facebook shut down some groups on its platform supporting the truckers after the online outlet Grid News found that they were being administered by a hacked account that had belonged to a woman in Missouri. So whoever was really running the groups wanted to hide their identity. And GoFundMe shut down a fundraiser for the truckers after police told them the protest had become an occupation. But organisers here have still been able to raise millions of dollars through an alternative service, a self-described Christian fundraising platform. Organisers say the money will help keep the truckers on the street. Dernière fois j'ai vu ma femme, c'est le 28 janvier que j'ai pas pu la revoir. Puis je suis ici à m'appuyer à 100%. Il y a quelques groupes sur des réseaux qui essaient de nous aider, nous envoyer de l'argent pour essayer de nous aider pour pas qu'on soit obligé de faire faillite. We want those great Canadian truckers to know that we are with them all the way. Trump indicating he is supportive of truckers descending on Washington, D.C., other American right-wing figures goading their audiences to act. The question is, how long before protests like this come here? Will we need our own trucker rally to end all of this insanity once and for all? What is the main goal, the main objective of, of the truckers here? Freedom. Now, Eleni, you, you heard in that piece there where there are people, conservatives, people on the right uh, in the U.S. calling for these kind of demonstrations to take place in the United States. And uh, we are hearing uh, just over the past 24 hours from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security sending out a memo, a bulletin to law enforcement warning that truckers in the U.S. may begin protesting as soon as this Sunday, which is, uh, of course, Super Bowl Sunday in the U.S. Eleni? Donny, thank you very much for that reporting. Good to see you. Donny O'Sullivan for us. And coming up on First Move, flying cars aren't fantasy anymore. One company is taking flight over the skies of Slovakia. More on the air car right after this. Welcome back. And Uber stock is climbing right now on the back of strong earnings, up almost 3%, and that's as passengers return to the back seat revenue in the fourth quarter was up 83 percent year on year we've got paula monica joining me now paul i was just taking a look at some of those numbers and literally they've just seen almost 25 percent increases uh, across the board where it comes to uber eats or just bookings or even the likes of airport bookings does this mean we've got COVID behind us and uber is really good barometer and kind of understanding uh, the fact that people are back on the streets and still and going to places and, and economies are open once again. Yeah, I think that there is a certain uh, element of that in Uber's results. Uh, we saw also Uber's top rival in the U.S., Lyft, reporting strong uh, revenue a couple of days ago, too. I think, though, that Uber is benefiting from this mix that's happening still, Eleni, where yes, people are going out again, and that is obviously helping the core ride-sharing business, but they're also still happy to get food and uh, dinners delivered to home. So remember, Uber bought Postmates in December 2020. The delivery business is now profitable for the first time, so that is good news for Uber as well. But overall, a pretty strong quarter when you look at how their users now are hitting an all-time high. So yes, people are going out again, but they're also staying home and getting food delivered. Yeah, and, and what's really interesting is that we know that there's uh, you know a lot of competition and it's closing in 
on Uber. So they're not the only option uh, for consumers. There was also talk of sort of ultra fast delivery services. And, uh, you know, that's been sort of spoken about quite extensively in the past. But whether that's going to be reality going forward, I guess it's, it's all about efficiencies. What else stood out for you, uh, Paul, in these numbers? Yeah, I think the fact that Uber has really transformed into a more diversified company than Lyft, so it does benefit from people that still want car service to travel, but are still benefiting as well from whoever is maybe a little less inclined despite vaccinations and uh, hopes that Omicron, uh, that wave is fading. There are a lot of people that just like the comforts of home and want to watch Netflix or uh, Disney Plus or HBO Max and get food delivered. And that is helping Uber because of Uber Eats and the combination with Postmates a few years ago. So Uber benefits from all of these mega trends right now. Absolutely. And I was just looking at the, the stock price. We had the graph up and actually uh, the Uber share price hasn't really recovered. So I guess that's going to be the next big thing, right? Whether the, the results are going to translate into more investor appetite sitting at $41.91 a share at this moment. Thank yes. you, Paula Monica. Much appreciated. All right, so we've seen plenty of flying cars on first move, including fictitious ones. Now it seems one step closer to a scene right out of an old James Bond movie. Well, at least in Slovakia. Regulators there have approved an air car as airworthy with retractable wings, a parachute deployment system, and a lot more. Its developer, Klein Vision, says it's compatible with EU aviation rules. Joining me now is Anton Zajak, the co-founder of Klein Vision. This is really big for you, Anton, isn't it, to be able to get uh, an airworthy certificate in Slovakia. You also say that it does comply with EU regulations as well, but that's, I guess, what you'll be focusing on as the next step. Well, it's a great milestone, uh, certainly. You know, it's uh, official proof uh, we can actually start mass producing this uh, this vehicle, flying car. Okay, so, I, I mean, I, I was taking a look at some of the visuals and the maneuvers and just when you were doing a lot of the testing and the hours that the pilots spent uh, in the air. Could you tell me a little bit about how you tested uh, this air car to ensure its safety? So we actually followed all the rules as uh, prescribed by EASA, which is a European agency, Aviation Agency for Safety. And so we had to fly at least 50 hours and do all the maneuvers, uh, you know, takeoffs and landings. We completed uh, actually 70 today, actually 85 hours of, of flights and uh, about 240 takeoffs and landings. So it's uh, fully uh, you know, uh, uh, test it, and uh, we are extremely happy with the stability uh, of the of the aircraft. Uh, you know, you don't even need to touch the controls to to land or take off. It's much stable than a three wheel aircraft, and it's very stable also when That's when incredible. side wind is very strong. Uh, That's incredible. Uh, Look, you're talking, you mentioned mass production, and that's, I guess, the next step. You've got the certificate, you want to mass produce. Are you going to be doing this? Are you looking for investors? And what is going to be sort of the game going forward? Uh, Are you you looking at, uh, you know, speaking with airlines at this point in time? What's your game going to be? So currently we are seeking investors and uh, we are also working on a new model, which uh, will have the same geometry. However, the engine will be an aircraft engine, 
which will be twice as, as powerful as the current engine. Uh, it will be a monocoque construction and it will also be equipped with the variable pitch propeller. So it will be a fully fledged aircraft when it's in aircraft mode and also a slick looking sports car when it is in a car mode, as you can see on the video. Yeah. Okay. Are you speaking to EU regulators at this point in time? How easy is it going to be to get that certificate? Because that's going to be the vital one, isn't it? Well, to actually get EASA uh, certification uh, uh, CS23, you need to create three prototypes which will be destroyed during the testing. Uh, we could do that, uh, but uh, with the certification we have just received, uh, we can fly and we can sell the, the experimental kit. There's about 33,000 such uh, certified planes flying in the United States and they are called experimental, however, it's, a, it's an incorrect uh, concept ter or term. They are uh, fully-fledged aircrafts uh, that are safe to fly. Well, Anton, it's an exciting proposition. It's an exciting, uh, you know, uh, uh, creative project uh, from my perspective. So I wish you all the best. I don't know if I'll be flying in one just yet, but it does look very exciting. So thank you so much for your time. Much thank appreciated. All right, and coming up after the break, Britain's Prince Charles in COVID isolation after testing positive for the second time. The details are next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. Britain's Prince Charles is in self-isolation after testing positive for COVID-19. It's the second time he's had it. 7,000 kilometers away, his son, Prince William, is on his first official visit to the UAE. Uh, Royal correspondent Max Foster is following the trip and joins me now from Expo 2020 in Dubai. Firstly, Max, welcome to Dubai. I can hear the robots behind you. Um, it is big news uh, that uh, Prince Charles now second time testing positive for COVID-19. What more do we know? Well, it is the second time. Uh, we don't know how bad his symptoms are, just that he's gone into isolation. They've had to rearrange his whole diary for today, had various events organised. Also looking at uh, an event he went to last night uh, with Camilla, where he was with Rishi Sunak, the UK Chancellor, and also the Home Secretary. So I'm sure everyone's being tested in that group as well. Uh, Camilla has tested negative. Uh, also, the question we're asking is, you know, when the last time you saw the Queen was? Uh, we haven't had an answer on that. Uh, presumably, she will be tested as well if he has been in close contact. But we're not being told about the symptoms. So, you know, some level of concern, you know, is he ill, is he not? But the fact he's in isolation suggests that they are uh, coping with it. Uh, I did ask Prince William's team if they had a response, but, you know, we just had the news and he's pretty busy here. So I don't think he's really had a, a chance to respond. But, you know, Charles in his early 70s uh, with Omicron, hopefully it's going to be OK, but we'll obviously bring you updates. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned that this is the second time that Prince Charles has uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Just how concerning is this, uh, would you say, for uh, a royal family member to test positive once again? Well, you know, they do meet a lot of people. I think that's their immediate concern. Also, they've got lots of staff. So in terms of isolation, they're pretty strict about it and uh, pull them away from everyone. Then it's a big case of uh, testing. Uh, he is in his early 70s. So, you know, that is a level of concern as well. Uh, but good news that Camilla hasn't got it. So it suggests that he's uh, not too contagious. So we'll wait to see what updates we get. But they've gone pretty quiet at the moment. Um, but, you know, we've got the team here as well trying to find out what's going on. 
All right, Max. So Prince William uh, is also in the UAE. It's his first official visit. A uh, big focus on sustainability and climate change. Tell me uh, about some of the uh, you know, official visits that you've seen since his arrival. Well, it's in- yeah, so what they try to do with these events, you know, Prince William comes in, he's got his interests, uh, you know, the UAE have got their interests, and they try and find the overlap. So one area of overlap was going down to the port in Dubai, the busiest in the Middle East, and seeing how they're intercepting illegal cargo. Uh, Prince William particularly interested in the wildlife trade, so they, they did a demonstration of how they uh, look into these containers and try to find out if there's any um, illicit wildlife uh, material on board is actually a a hugely profitable business uh, and uh, they're very keen on clamping down on that here. Uh, Another event I went to with him was uh, the mangroves and that's pretty interesting because uh, as you'll know Abu Dhabi investing huge amounts in mangroves because they uh, Abu Dhabi claim that they soak up four times as much carbon as the rainforest and they also protect the coastlines as well. So a huge investment going on there. We saw Prince uh, William planting mangroves and then he came here to the expo and that's all about um, promoting the UK, uh, which is pretty important I think right now. It does show the power of royalty, I have to say, Eleni, because with UK politics in such a mess, so chaotic, you know, that's when royals are quite useful for the British government, bringing them in here, promoting stability and calm, which isn't the case in Westminster at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Very different to what we're seeing in the political landscape. Thank you very much, Max. Great to see you. And finally, on First Move, you're looking at a water spout off the coast of Cuba as it made its way towards land on Wednesday. Tornado strength winds ripped up trees and brought down power lines. Pretty shocking footage there. Local people say it's one of the strongest they've seen, even saying that they're shaking with fear after the storm had passed. I'm Eleni Jokas in Dubai. Thank you very much uh, for joining us on First Move. Take care. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.